Amen. Turn around and say hello to somebody today. God bless you. I'm glad you came to Central Baptist Church. And hello once again to those that are coming to us online. Praise the Lord for that. We have a bulletin. It's available in the back. You can go get one right now if you would like. Uh, we're glad for you to have one. And if you're online, you can just scroll down and tap and you will uh, be given one of these bulletins. Great looking bulletin. We've got uh, a child who's assisting his father in Bible times. And he is taking hyssop and putting the blood of the lamb from a bowl onto the doorpost and lintel of the door, the outside door. Looks like uh, perhaps a little girl and they got a chicken in the yard and the whole works from Bible times. How important is this? An old-fashioned picture like that, an old-fashioned example like that. I'm going to tell you the truth of God's Word never grows old. The truth of God's Word is timeless. We need the blood. We need the same old story as before. Oh my, all the way from Florida. Good to see the Chavez family. Come on in. Find a place. For those of you who are online, just pardon us a second while we're having a little bit of a reunion here. All right. Yeah, come on. Get closer down front. Mom wants you to sit down front. Come on. There you go. If you're glad to see the Chavez's, give them a hand. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Okay. So, we talk about the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about something that's old-fashioned or outmoded. The blood of Jesus Christ still cleanses from all sin. And sin is the number one problem in this world. It's, it's not disease. It's not poverty. Those things are serious, but they're not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is the sin problem. And what sin does to tear up lives and tear up families, tear up Christians, tear up churches, uh, the devil is working overtime. Somebody else might sit back. Somebody else might take their time and say, well, I've got all the time in the world. This has been called off. This has been called off. This was called off due to this. This was called off. Satan never calls off anything. He's going all the time, 24-7. He is busy about his filthy, awful, terrible, nasty work. I'm going to call it just like it is. And he knows what my weakness is. He knows what your weakness is. And that's where he's got his crosshairs. He is aiming at your weakness. He is going to try to hit your weakness and cause you to stumble and fall and become an obstacle rather than part of the solution in helping people to God through Jesus Christ. There is still only one way to God and that is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? Did He just come and work miracles and say nice things and then kind of float back to heaven and, and uh, leave the rest to us? No, not at all. Jesus came into this world and He radically changed everything. Do you know that the, the course of this world was transformed by the coming of Jesus Christ? And when He was here in the days of His flesh, He addressed every problem, every situation that stops us in our tracks and that defeats us and causes us problems. He faced it and He is still the answer. He went to an old rugged cross. It was prophesied. He didn't die by stoning. He wouldn't allow that. He didn't die by strangulation. He wouldn't allow that. He died by hanging on the cross and bleeding, shedding His blood purposely, and then dismissing His own spirit. He did that as the Lamb of God. He did that 
to take your place and mine. The old-fashioned message of the blood of Jesus Christ is just as fresh and just as new today as it was years and years ago. We have a precursor. We have all kinds of prophecies to to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We find them in the Old Testament. We find that when Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve sinned and realized that they were exposed as sinners, God gave them skins to cover themselves. In order to do that, He had to kill those animals. There had to be the shedding of blood. By the fourth chapter of Genesis, we realize that the two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, were bringing sacrifices, and the one that was accepted was the blood of the Lamb. That is a type, a picture, of the Lamb who would come one day. A Cain sacrifice, which represented the fruit of his hands, was not acceptable to God, and it made him angry, and he rose up and he slew his brother, killed his brother because he was so angry. His sacrifice from his hands was not acceptable. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't want us to work. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to do our best. That means that all the church membership and all the good works and all the benevolent things that you and I might do in our life will not atone for our sins. Only the blood of the Lamb will atone. All through the Old Testament, perhaps millions of lambs were slain. You say, how cruel. No, it was a picture, a type. Didn't come close. According to the book of Hebrews, the blood of bulls and of goats does not take care of the sin problem permanently. Only the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, takes care of the sin problem permanently. Until you come to know Jesus Christ by claiming the shed blood of Jesus Christ for your salvation, for all your sins, past, present, and future, you're not on your way to heaven. Once you do, you're on your way to heaven. You're now in a new relationship. You're in the family of God. And the blood of Jesus Christ keeps on cleansing so we can have restored fellowship. And then one day we're going to be in His presence. We won't have to deal with that old thing. Listen, I'm going to tell you again. The devil does not want this preached today. If he can get your mind to wander, he's going to get your mind to wander today. He's going to raise up all kinds of opposition. He's going to say in your ear that this message is just being overemphasized. Being made too much of a big deal. And you can't make too much of a big deal of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, they took Him off the cross. They buried Him in a a new tomb that was never used previously. He didn't buy it. He just borrowed it. He was only going to keep it for the weekend. He rose from the dead three days and three nights later. Amen? Amen. He's not there. He is risen, as the angel said. And He's in His glorified body now. And He is alive and well. And He's at the right hand of the Father. He is still the Lamb of God. And when we see Him someday, we're going to see in His hands, we're going to see in His side, we're going to see in His feet the wounds that were made because of your sin and mine. My sin put Him on that cross. My sin caused Him to suffer untold agony. My sin caused Him to be rejected by God and man as He hung between heaven and earth. But I'll tell you, the great love of God held Him to that cross. And until you experience the great love of God, don't try to come with plan B because plan P is not going to work. Plan C is not going to work. You've got to come with God's A plan. God's A plan is that He is the Lamb of God. Praise God for that. In your bulletin, we have a little poem. I love it. It's by Christina Rossetti, the poet. 
None of the Lamb, none of the name, none of their hope in heaven, earth, or sea. None of their hiding place from guilt and shame. None, of, none beside thee. That's it. There's no other place we can go. I like the illustration in there. W.A. Criswell, great pastor of the great First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, for so many years that he gave. He, he had a dream about the Savior. He dreamed he saw the Savior, and he was being whipped bloody and awful. It was terrible. He was being whipped and being just back was being ripped up the flesh was coming off the blood was splattering everywhere he was being ripped up and then that soldier turned and it was the face of W.A. Criswell you and I have to get to the point that we personalize that big old burly Roman soldier that kneeled on Jesus uh, forearm and took that nail and put that nail through the base of his wrist and they did it to both wrists and then raised him up and nailed his feet to the cross. When he turns around, that's my face. That's your face. We put him there. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed intentionally. It wasn't accidentally spilled. It wasn't something that he didn't intend to do. He intended for every drop of blood to be shed so you and I might be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. There's, a, there's nothing like sangre de Cristo. Más importante. Amen. Amen. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. Yep. Yep. C.S. Lewis also addresses this in the bulletin. That's why you should have a bulletin. Because he tells Jesus not just some prophet, uh, but he is the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb. We have in our Songbooks, a rich catalog of scriptural truth about the blood. I'm thankful we've got hymn books in this church that don't take the blood out. Now there are some denominations, I won't call the name, but they ought to be ashamed of themselves. That in their updated editions they take out, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. They've taken out, wounded for me, wounded for me. There on the cross He was wounded for me. They've taken out far dearer than all that the world can impart was the message that came to my heart how that Jesus alone for my sin did atone and Calvary, Calvary covers it all. They've taken out saved by the blood of the crucified one now ransomed from sin and a new work begun saying praise to the Father and praise to the Son saved by the blood of the crucified one. They've taken out all the good gospel songs about the blood, under the blood the burden of sin has been lifted as far as the east is from the west. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood. Lose all, not some, not most, lose all their guilty stains. Centuries ago, on the south coast of China, high up on a hill overlooking the harbor of Macau, Portuguese settlers built an enormous cathedral and they believed it would weather time. They placed on the front wall of this cathedral a massive bronze cross that stood high in the sky. Not too many years later, a typhoon came along and blew down the whole cathedral except that bronze cross. So you could see it from anywhere in the bay. Centuries later, there was a shipwreck out in that little harbor. And some died and a few lived. And one of the men that was hanging onto the wreckage from the ship, moving up and down, as the, as the water would crest and the ocean swells were moving, was disoriented and frightened and he lost his way and didn't know where land was. And he was just about to give up hope. And when he, when he 
just about ready to give up hope, he saw, as he went up on a swell, he saw that brass cross on that hill. The cross symbolizes the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. When he made it to land and he told his story, he wrote this song, In the cross of Christ I glory, towering o'er the wrecks of time. All the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. When the woes of life, and this speaks to every one of us, the problems of life. When the woes of life o'ertake me, hopes deceive and fears annoy, never shall the cross forsake me. Lo, it glows with peace and joy. When the sun of bliss is beaming, light and love upon my way. From the cross, the radiance streaming adds more luster to the day. That's what the sacrifice of Jesus Christ does. It helps me when I'm down. It blesses me when I'm up. The cross of Jesus Christ is a reality in my life and in your life as well. So many great songs about the blood. Back in our passage of Scripture, Exodus chapter 12. Will you turn there with me, please? Exodus chapter 12. Let me give you the background. As you know, Jacob took his family down into Egypt because the famine had struck the world. They didn't know that Joseph, the brother with the coat of many colors that his brethren hated, who had been sold into slavery, had risen to become second most powerful man in the empire of Egypt. And because of the wisdom that God gave him, he was able to set up a program of food conservation. So when the famine hit, Egypt had plenty of food. They came to buy and he revealed himself. And so the family came down to live in the land of Goshen. They were shepherds. And of course the Egyptians didn't like sheep and shepherds, but down there in that land, eventually there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And after he and, and his, his uh, brethren had already passed away, they, the descendants were enslaved and they grew to a great number. And they were used in the building of the pyramids and other great monuments there. They were at the whim and the wish of the new Pharaoh and the Egyptian uh, empire. And they cried out for deliverance. They said, Lord, we need a Savior. We need a deliverer. And there was one that was born, Moses, and was hidden in the bulrushes. And his sister Miriam was watching from a distance, and down came the daughter of the Pharaoh, and her heart was moved for the little child, and she took the child, but she didn't know what to do. And so, uh, of course, she needed someone to raise that child, and in the providence of God, God arranged for Moses' actual mother to nurse him and raise him. Later on, he grew up in the palace, which was actually in line to become the Pharaoh. But he saw his people suffering, and he saw an Egyptian taskmaster, and so he slew that taskmaster. He kind of took law into his own hands, but then that made folks angry. And he had to flee for his life, and for 40 years, on the backside of the desert, he was a, he was a herdsman. And that's where he was when the Lord spoke to him. The Lord spoke to him. And he followed that call. And I want you to come back tonight and hear about that call and how you can have that call. How you and I need that call. And he went to Pharaoh and he said, Let my people go! Pharaoh said, I'm not going to let them go. God sent a series of plagues. The last one was the death of the firstborn. It's called the Passover. They were to prepare according to Exodus chapter 12. Lamb lamb for each household if it was large enough or they were to share with their neighbors. And they were to shed that blood. 
They were to take the lamb out on the tenth day of the month and kill it on the fourteenth day, shed that blood, take that blood, and paint it on the doorpost. And Moses called, in verse 21, for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill, kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop, just plain old ordinary common hyssop, and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will call and will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. That's it. That is a clear picture of our responsibility and the atonement as we find it in the Word of God. It is the story that is pictured on the front. Dad and mom explaining to son and daughter, listen, if we don't do this, firstborn will die. We've got to do this. Oh, you're going to kill the lamb, daddy. Yes, I'm going to kill the lamb. That's the way we should feel about Jesus having to die for our sin, but it was necessary. Jesus had to go to an old rugged cross. I'll never forget old John Rice. In the last five years of his life, he stood up in our pulpit And he said, and the dear Lord Jesus walked up Calvary's hill and he laid down and he allowed wicked and sinful men to put those nails in his wrists and in his feet. And they hung him on that cross between heaven and earth. Jesus did that for you and he did that for me. That doesn't break your heart. Wonder what's wrong with your heart. Breaks my heart. Think about Jesus doing that. Jesus is the Passover lamb. He's the fulfillment of it. The little child didn't understand why their little pet lamb had to die. But the pet, pet lamb had to die for the blood to be shed. There had to be a substitution. There had to be the shedding of blood. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission, no payment for sin. As we look back at the Passover, put it down. It is the prescription to deliver. God gives us the plan. God gives us the plan. So we can be saved. We don't make up the plan. Everything that mankind does on his own in the realm of religion and benevolence and good works will fail. We need to come God's way. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Prescription to deliver. Believe it. A practice had to be carried out in this sense. Not in the sense of works, but the step of obedience. And that's it. If you know that the medicine that's in the cabinet will save your life and you don't take it, you're going to die as sure as if there's no medicine in that cabinet. And if you don't apply the blood of Jesus Christ to your heart and life, you're not going to be saved. You can know it in your head. You can know the gospel story in your mind. But if you don't know in your heart the Savior Jesus Christ, if you haven't applied the blood of Jesus Christ, you're going to split hell wide open. That's the practice. And then there's the promise, which is prophetic that souls would come to God through the Lamb. How wonderful that is. Now I'm holding in my hand right here the Constitution, Articles of Faith, and Bylaws of Central Baptist Church. Now that is not anywhere (laughs) close in our thinking 
and precious to our heart, as is the Word of God. But it contains parts of the Word of God that helps to explain to other people what it is that we believe and how we practice. Under Article 9, in the Statement of Faith, the Atonement for Sin, we believe that the salvation of sinners is holy of grace. We don't work for it. We don't work to get it. We don't work to keep it. Through the mediatorial office of the Son of God, He's the mediator. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's the only one. Who by appointment of the Father freely took upon Him our nature, yet without sin, no sin in Jesus Christ, honored the divine law by His personal obedience and by His death, made a full and vicarious atonement in our place for our sins. That His atonement consisted not in setting us an example in His death as a martyr, but was the voluntary substitution of Himself in the sinner's place, the just dying for the unjust, Christ the Lord bearing our sins in His own body on the tree, that having risen from the dead, He is now enthroned in heaven and uniting in His wonderful person the tenderest sympathies with divine perfection. He is every way qualified to be a suitable, a compassionate, and an all-sufficient Savior. And you say, Preacher, that's a lot of fancy language. Yes, I tell you, that's not exactly the way I would have said it. I would have said it maybe a little plainer, uh, some smaller words perhaps. But it's encompassing the idea that only Jesus Christ can be our atoning lamb. Only He can be the one that can take away our sin. He's the only one. Don't trust in your own goodness. Don't trust in your church membership. Don't trust in your benevolence. Don't trust in keeping the Ten Commandments or the Golden Rule or any other system. So what does this mean when I see the blood? This doesn't, this doesn't mean that God couldn't see, didn't know. It goes to who God is and how He works. It's not about knowing. He already knows everything, past, present, and future. He already knows about the blood on the doorposts and the lintel. He already knows that. He's omniscient. It's about our relationship. It's about making it personal. Everybody in that whole settlement of all those Old Testament Hebrews could have known in their head, could have kept that lamb and say, now, spiritually and symbolically and allegorically, we're going to pretend to kill this lamb, we're going to take an empty bowl, and we're going to pretend to do that from the inside. They would not have been spared. They had to kill the lamb. Jesus had to die. They had to put the blood on the outside. You and I must apply the blood to our life. We must be born again. We must be saved the Bible way. It's about relationship. It's not about God learning something He didn't already know. It's about God acting as God. God behaving as God. For He is both the judge and He is both the redeemer. He is the one who gives us eternal life. The old salvation officer, John Allen, said, I deserved to be damned in hell, but God interfered. I like that. Amen. Amen. Francis Havergal, who wrote so many poems and hymns, Nothing to pay, yes, nothing to pay. Jesus has cleared all the dead away, blotted it out with His bleeding hand, free and forgiven, and loved you stand. Amen. Yes, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Jesus Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. That's it. 
That's it. Without shedding of blood. It says in Hebrews 9.22, there is no remission. There is no payment for sin. He had to die. It's not allegorical. It's not imaginary. Yes, we preach the literal blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, we preach that it is in heaven right now. Yes, we preach that when you get saved, it gets applied to your life and it washes away your sin. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Oh, praise God for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our only salvation. We are saved by His precious blood. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. In 1 John chapter 2, in verse 2, it says that He is our propitiation, not for us only, but for the sins of the whole world. The word propitiation is a big word, kids. Propitiation means when God looked down at Jesus dying on the cross and the blood was shed, God says, that satisfies my holy requirements. It wasn't that God was cruel. It's that God is just. And the wickedness of our sin, every bad thought I ever had, kids, every bad thing I ever did, folks, every bad intention, every bad attitude I ever had, multiply it times the billions of people who have ever lived. And when Jesus died on the cross, yes, His death was horrific in that sense, but it had to be necessarily because He took my place, your place, your place, your place, your place, your place. Multiply it out. Everybody who called upon the name of the Lord, He took our place. That's why it's awful. That's why it's terrible. But the result is wonderful. And we praise Him. We praise the Lamb forever for who He is and what He's done. Chief of sinners, though I be, Jesus shed His blood for me. Died that I might live on high. Lives that I might never die. It's precious blood. It's precious blood. Through it, Romans chapter 5 and verse 9 says, I have justification. Justification, big word kids, justification. Just as if I'd never sinned. Say it. Just as if I'd never sinned. What am I? I'm justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. When God looks at your record after you've asked Jesus in your heart because of the blood that's been shed and the finished work of Jesus Christ, no more sin on my record. Jesus took it all. He paid it all. Praise God for that. I have redemption through His blood. Ephesians 1.7 I have peace as we read in the verse as we began today, Colossians 1.20 I have all of those things. I, I have cleansing. And that leads me... To to what we're going to say next. When Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and about all the sins and the problems, the things that are done that are wicked and awful and terrible, and he says, and such were some of you. But ye are washed. Thank God we're the church of the second chance. Nobody is here because we deserve to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, the, I'm looking up and down. I'm about the best one here. We are the chief of sinners. We don't deserve to be here. But He makes me worthy. He and what He did makes me worthy. And praise God, when I stand before the gate of heaven someday and they say, why should we let you come in? I'll say, I'm standing here on the merits of the finished work of Jesus Christ. I'm going to get in because of Jesus Christ.
And such were some of you. Number two, not only is Jesus Christ our only salvation, the blood of Jesus Christ is the only solution to restore fellowship. What breaks it? When we willfully, deliberately go off our own way, when we wander away as a born-again child of God, He doesn't let us tether too far away, does He? It's not like being lost. If you're a lost man, lost woman, lost boy, lost girl, you haven't asked Jesus in your heart, you don't know that you're going to heaven, and you decide you just want to go off and wander, you can go as far in wickedness, and all you're doing is being attracted to what you still are, lost. That's it. But a saved person, listen to me, a saved person who starts to wander off, we got a tether on us. I got a promise in the Word of God. He's got a tether on me. And I may get out here a ways and get messed up and get down in the gunk and the, and the rot and the, and the filth of sin in my life, but He's still got me on a tether. Aren't you glad? He doesn't let me go. He'll never let you go. He'll never let you go. He'll never, 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 never. You say, oh, but what if I do this? He'll never let you go. He'll never let you go. He'll never let you go. The Bible says... And you know why he'll never let you go? Because his sacrifice covered not only the sins past, but past, present, and future. In terms of justification, you and I are his children. We're his children. See, I'm down in that filth, I'm down in that rot, I'm down in that scum, I'm down in that sin, that filth, that nasty sin. How can I still be His child? Because you were bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't insult what God has done. Don't insult what God has said. You are still a child of God. You're just down in the dirt and down in the filth and down in the rot. But you're tethered. And I'll guarantee you something else that you're not. You're not happy. If you're down in that filth today... You've been born again, you've been saved, but you're down in that rot. You're not happy. You don't like that. So what do you need? Here's what you need. 1 John, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, come on, help me. He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to do what? And to cleanse us with all unrighteousness. Absolutely. All unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only solution to restore fellowship when sinning breaks it. When you're down in that filth, you didn't cease to be a child of God. You're just a dirty one. You're a filthy one. But you're a child of God. What you are is you're a disobedient child. That's it. And you get cleaned up. You get your fellowship restored. You get back. Now, you might have lost some mileage. You might have lost some time. But you know, it's not too late right now. If you've got a pulse, if you've got a heartbeat, if you're breathing in and out and you're still alive, you can get right with God today. Let all God's people come back to God. Let all God's people get right with God. Number three, the blood of Jesus Christ is the only source of daily power over Satan and his cohorts. I'm talking about the world system. I'm talking about the flesh. I'm talking about the self and selfism. That's it. 
It says over in Revelation chapter 12. Turn with me there. Revelation chapter number 12. Last book of the Bible. There it is. Revelation chapter 12. Verse 11. And they overcame him. That's, that's the accuser of the brethren in verse 10. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. That's it. That's it. Blood of Jesus Christ, according to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 24, is still there in heaven and still speaking better things than that of Abel. You back it up two chapters to Hebrews chapter 10 and it's an awesome picture in verse 29 where it talks about those who have trodden underfoot the blood. They've trodden underfoot the blood. And you know how you trod underfoot the blood? You refuse it when it's offered you. The blood of Jesus Christ, the dying of the Lamb of God, ought to break your heart and break mine. The blood of Jesus Christ and the death of the Lamb ought to cause us to think twice about who we are and what direction we're headed and what we're doing and what we ought to be accomplishing for God in this world. We ought to think about it. But there are some folks that are so cold and they're so hard, it doesn't affect them. It just kind of runs, look at me, kind of runs kind of runs off, and they just walk around on it. They're trotting it underfoot. They're saying it doesn't matter. Here it is. He says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. He talks about the tithe being the Lord's, belonging to Him. He talks about our body being the temple of the Holy Ghost. He, he talks about our tongue being under the control of the Holy Spirit. Our mind and our life and our body being tra- transformed by the renewing of the Word of God. And people hear that and instead they decide they just want to go about their way, go where they want to, when they want to, do what they want to, not have any commitment, not have any transformation of life. And it just kind of runs off of them and there it is. And what do they do? They trample on it. They trod on the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that transforms, the blood that saves, the blood that keeps, the blood that sanctifies. They're trotting on the blood. They're trotting on the blood. You say, preacher, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Guilty? Oh, yes. How many times? How many times? In the 1600s, you could not preach the gospel in England unless you had a license. You couldn't tell the truth from the Word of God unless they gave you a license. And they didn't just give it to anybody that was called to preach. In a little village of Bedford, there was a tinker. His name was John Bunyan. And John didn't have a license to preach, so his congregation would meet out in the woods and he would preach and they would come and break it up and break it up. And they threatened him and they threatened him. And finally they said, that's it. And they threw him in Bedford jail. For 12 years, for the high crime of telling people that there was an old rugged cross and a Savior who hung on that cross, and He suffered and He died and He shed His blood, and that blood can save your soul, not the Church of England, 
Not the clergyman. Not the good works and the penance. That won't save your soul. That won't get one toe out of hell. He taught it just like it is. He preached it just like it is. And they locked him up. They would come and he'd try to preach to him out the window. And they locked him up and they chained him up. And he was very popular. And they said, John will let you out if you'll sign this right here. We'll give you a license. We'll let you out. And they, they put that outside the bars of his door and a pen. And after they left, John Bunyan said to the jailer who was his friend, said, if my hand goes outside those bars, cut it off. Don't let me deny my Lord. His daughter, little Mary, became so sick she was about to die. They came to him and they said, just sign the paper, John. Just sign the paper. Just cave in. Sign the paper. Just sign the paper and we'll let you go home and see Mary who's dying. And they left. And he said, cut my hand off if it goes out the bars. It was a high price preach the truth in those days we got it so easy can I just say it like it is we're a bunch of wimps stay home won't go soul winning won't tithe won't be a transformed Christian won't be dedicated and there's John Bunyan cut my hand off if it comes outside the bars don't let me deny the Lord He wrote the second most popular written document in history next to the Bible. You know what that was? Pilgrim's Progress. You should get it, read it. There's a man named Christian. He's the central character. Christian finds the path to salvation and up the hill he staggers until he reaches the peak and he sees a wooden cross and just below it an empty sepulcher. As he nears the cross, a miracle happens. The straps binding the massive weight to his shoulders loosen, and his load tumbles away into the sepulcher's waiting mouth, never to be seen again. That represented his sin falling away when he came to the cross of Jesus Christ. Christian sings this song, Thus far did I come laden with my sin, nor could aught ease the grief that I was in. Till I came hither, what a place is this! Must here be the beginning of my bliss. Must here the burden fall off my back. Must here the strings that bound it to me crack. Blessed cross, blessed sepulcher. Blessed rather be the man that was there who was put to shame for me. And if John Bunyan and his fictional character, Christian, and those who have suffered... All those who have shed their blood for the cause of Christ. And if our dear Savior could die upon that cross, can't we give ourselves to Him? Can't we say, Lord Jesus, take my life and live through me? Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many of you today would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Amen. Now, what are we going to do about it, Christians? What are we going to do about it? If you're saved and you know it for sure, 
when the invitation is given and the music starts to play, don't stay back there. Come on down, have a word of prayer and say, Lord, take my life and use it. When I see all that has been done for the cause of Christ and what little, what little I'm willing to give, what willing, what I'm little, how little I'm willing to do, I want to get right with God, and so should you. I'm going to ask you to come in just a moment when the invitation is given. How many of you would say right now, I know I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, I've done that already, I've received Christ, I prayed and asked Him into my heart, I remember doing that, put your hand up high, I remember doing that, amen, amen. If you do not know for sure that heaven is your home, then right now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to pray from your heart to God right now. Here's what you pray, just pray it from your heart, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive Jesus into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. I'm in the firm embrace of God's amazing grace. I don't deserve such a favored place. I'm in His constant care, whether here or there. In God's firm embrace of grace. I was lost. I shepherd found me. I was blind, he touched my eyes that I might see. He brought me home through the cold and carried me to his fold. From disgrace to marvelous grace, I've been set free. I'm in the strong embrace of God's amazing grace. I don't deserve such a favored place. I'm in His constant care, whether here or there, in God's firm embrace of grace. Oh, such fear filled my heart, but He called me held me close to himself and gave me peace he brought me home through the cold and carried me to his fold from disgrace to marvelous grace i've been set free i'm in the firm embrace of god's amazing grace i don't deserve such place I'm in his constant care whether here or there in God's firm embrace of grace in God's firm embrace of 